Welcome everyone back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I'm joined as always by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm really good, Dave. How are you out there in freezing ass Atlanta? It is It's not hot Atlanta, is it? It is freezing ass Atlanta. It is so bad. Um, it got up to 60 degrees yesterday, which was, nice. you know, we, we sang songs of praise. We did sun dances, the whole thing. Um, and now it's back down to high 30s, mid 30s, and it's going to get down into the 20s this weekend. It's going to be great. We're excited for it here in Atlanta. I mean, we shouldn't tell anyone, right? I mean, but I don't, and I really admire the rest of the country, but I just don't know how... You go through that in your life is short, man. And just to deal like that's not even bad. There are places that are windchill like negative 17, like Chicago is negative eight or something. I I don't know how you just go through that every day of your life. I need a little like Goldilocksy for my weather. Like I need to find a place where it's just permafall. That's what I want. I don't want I don't want that what has turned into the Los Angeles summer where it just like climbs into the high 90s with humidity suddenly in the last like 10 years i don't want that anymore um but i don't want this either like just give me a yeah. comfortable middle ground year round like just give See, me fall. yeah I get, I get what you're saying uh california has not been that horrible to me though for whatever reason there's like there's probably a dozen week like maybe a dozen to 20 days from uh what from you know june to september that are bad but man the fall this fall was fantastic oh, spring man. and fall have been fantastic like it's usually remember summer you said like go all the way into september even october was more and now man you, this fall was, was are fantastic. you are you telling me the entire weather pattern changed there in the last two years because when i was last there in the fall it was like a hundred degrees on november 15th it was insane. you know what you can't go by any trend because if you look at the big picture, obviously, there are weather – so much is affecting the climate, and we won't even talk about it. But since you have – last two falls have been pretty nice because it knows you're gone, and it's just laughing hysterically. I think that's what it is. I've also brought – like I've brought, I've brought snow two winters here in Atlanta, and honestly, like snow is not a common occurrence here, but I've brought that. I think I just bring weather wherever I go. Yeah, so maybe maybe you should just stay there and put the tape. That was like the meanest thing I've ever said to you. Yeah, no, I I, I did not take that uh, smiling. Um, you didn't laugh. You didn't laugh with me. You no, didn't chuckle. No, 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 you didn't do anything. No, yeah. no, it's 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 very cold. It's beyond. I want you here, Dave. No matter what crappy weather you would bring. I okay? appreciate that. I appreciate that. Hey, are you going to come out for spring practice? You are now, right? I am. I am. I will be Everyone. covering the March 14th and March 16th practices that uh, that recruiting assistant so helpfully tweeted out. Yeah, um, do you think that was? You think that was okay? I, I don't, don't know. think so because there was no retweet from the UCLA football account, no tweeting from the UCLA football account about it. So I don't know. I think that's probably a little jumping the gun there. I hope there is another Chip opening. Change one of the dates just to just to be ornery now. I hope there isn't an opening for that guy. I don't know that guy. I hope there isn't like you know they're listing all the jobs, job opening. Yeah, and something his comes open. That would be good. <laughs> um, all right, we've got a lot to talk about, Tracy. We actually do. We're two weeks away from 
from signing day and recruiting has been incredibly interesting. We got, I personally think basketball is really interesting for the, maybe because we just scraped so much rock bottom for so long and our submarine is starting to come up to the surface and you can see the surface. We're still like 50 feet deep, but we're close. We're getting there. So it's all, it's all good to me. It's all we're all moving up. So I think this is all fun to talk about. Well, and I think it is fun to talk about also because, like, I've really cleansed my palate of this year's team now. Um, because, like, oh, they're just going to be bad, too. So it's not even like I have to, like, spend a whole lot of energy focusing on that. It is really fully future-focused. Like, just looking ahead at next year. Like, because this year, it already didn't matter after Alford uh was was fired because that pretty much accomplished what needed to happen this year um but now they're going to be so bad that they're probably not making the tournament or doing anything so you can really focus on next year it's kind of you know liberating you can look at the whole expanse of college basketball all these different coaches doing great things at all these different schools and just start thinking of them okay yeah slot you in on the ucla bench this this could really go it's great it was greedy of us all to think that we would get a, a new coach and also, like you know, win the Pac-12. I mean, yeah, yeah they, let's just let's just count our blessings and and be very very happy about what we've been given. Yeah, but I think that's what we should do. There is there is hope. There is an opening, and there is hope. Um, so and, and uh, did you read my story from yesterday? Yeah, that's all about. I mean, you've got to come away from that pretty excited about the factors going into hiring a new coach. I mean. After I wrote it, I read it a couple of hours later, and I uh, objectively was excited after reading what I wrote as a fan. Oh, yeah. Were you, were you excited? Dave, do you get excited when you read what I wrote? I don't get excited over anything, um, but as close as I do come, that's where I was. So you can, you can take that. That's something. You never get excited over anything, anything. Oh, You've never – God. I'm trying to think if I've ever seen you excited. I'll try I know to rack my brain. I know how that sounds. I know. <laughs> yeah. If we well, interviewed that one time on the other side of the yeah. tracks, you yeah, we interviewed. If I interviewed Katie, like I had her, you know, she had. I had to depose Katie. She would say, "I've I've never seen Dave Woods excited." I mean, I don't know if she would say that. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So there is some excitement in your life. That seems unlikely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, for uh, the broader point of course is true um which is look i mean ucla is and i don't think the national media has in any way gotten their heads wrapped around this idea but ucla is committed to the basketball program right now in a way it really wasn't i i, I mean they were kind of trending towards that way with the alford hire like they had uh, you know refurbished poly the the idea of the basketball practice facility was getting kind of kicked around a little bit but it wasn't yet at this fully fleshed out point and um the money being available just every factor is now ucla being more serious about its basketball program and that i mean it's it's not in and of itself enough to guarantee you're going to get a great coach you still have to close you still have to sell you still have to do all that stuff but it it sacrifice it it it, it provides those prerequisites that um UCLA was lacking for a really long time. I would say there were many times in the past when they went coach searching 
the package that you see, that, there were legitimately interested coaches in football or, or basketball, but the package they could put on the table just wasn't compelling enough. I don't think any coach in this coaching search will turn down the job because the elements of the package weren't compelling enough. It's going to be something else. It's going to be, you know, it's Mark Few and there, you know, there's just nothing you could put in the package. that's going to keep him from staying. He's winning at a high level at Gonzaga. He's going to make a decent amount of money. He can stay there for the next 40 years of his life. The only thing that would ever make him leave probably is an NBA job. And as I wrote, I know he's, he's like turned down some of those too. So no one is, I think now going to say, I'm not taking that job because they didn't, they weren't going to pay me enough or the facilities weren't, uh, weren't there, or I didn't have enough support because I want to do this and I want this resource and I want to build out the training table and I want this sports science. UCLA now will reasonably say, and even not reasonably, they'll, they're going to tell every candidate, we can do that. We can do that. I, I, I know this to be a fact. So that makes that job really, really compelling. Now, it's all like I wrote in the piece. It's all about timing. There might be, they got incredibly lucky with Chip Kelly. That was just amazing timing, you know, and that can't always happen. You're not always going to get an elite coach that's, that's timed out right. But uh, like I said, it, there's not going to be a coach who turns this down because of the package UCLA puts on the table, which there had been any number of coaches that turned it down because of that. Yeah. And that's exciting when you're thinking about UCLA actually pursuing some of the biggest names in the sport. Um, you know, I think in our uh, you're you're on board. It's it's Tony Bennett, right? Who's number one at this point? I, I don't think it's. I don't think there's really an argument. I, I mean, if anyone tried to mount the argument that Tony Bennett isn't your number one, you know, objective here, I, I just I I'll probably just immediately turn you off because. I don't think the argument has any credibility. Yeah, I think um, it's it's he's the yeah. surest he's the surest elite. I think you could maybe make an argument that his style of play maybe doesn't have you, you don't have an I don't think you have a broad enough sample size because it's a low sample size thing. Maybe that style of play isn't perfectly optimal for the NCAA tournament itself and that there might be somebody out there who has a little bit more upside in terms of that. But when you're looking at Who's going to more or less guarantee you a top two seed every single year, protected seed in the West, give you the best base from which to basically get lucky in six games, which is what the NCAA tournament that, is. That's exactly what I was going to say. That's exactly what – just get yourself in a position to win it. Get a couple of number one – just get number one seeds and hope everything times out with injuries, injuries to other teams – just you're hot for it's it's luck it's six games of luck i mean you put yourself in the position to optimize your luck with the number one seed but put yourself in that position and you are going to win if ben Hallen kept doing what he was doing he would have won a national championship yep yeah and look at virginia i mean if you give me so let's say there's a coach out there i'm not even going to pick a name but let's say there's a coach out there who has a slightly more optimal NCAA tournament strategy, maybe it's a little more, I don't know, high variance. They're shooting threes, playing a little more up-tempo, whatever it is. Um, say they win, you know, a, a two titles 
in 10 years, but like the other six, there's like six kind of so-so seasons, maybe even one losing season in that group. And then you have Tony Bennett who gives you 10 elite seasons, but maybe only one national title. I'm probably taking the 10 elite seasons and that's just like a hypothetical, but I think that's more of an encapsulation of what you're getting with Tony Bennett. You're getting that elite. You're going to get elite season after elite season. And whether it ends up in the sweet 16 or the elite eight or with a national title, you're going to get elite regular seasons every single year, and that's going to make it just so much more enjoyable to follow, enjoyable to watch. Um, from You'll be interested because they're actually competing for things. And that's such a good fit for UCLA because realistically right now we're ex- expectations aren't on the same level as other blue blood programs. We don't expect we're, you know, fans at UCLA isn't—they're they're not Kentucky, they're not Duke, they're not expecting to win a national championship every three or four years. If you win Elite Eight, if you go to Elite Eight or better, of course you do that six, seven, eight years in a row. Pretty soon, UCLA fans are going to come around and saying, "Well, when are they going to win a national championship?" But I'm telling you, you could keep doing that for a while, and UCLA fans will be happy given the last decade, last decade, last forty years that the UCLA program has, has gone through. So he's the best fit in so many ways in this era of the FBI scandal of me too. And a lot of other stuff, this guy's squeaky clean. I mean, you're not going to find something in his past. He, he doesn't cheat in recruiting. Just let that one sink in because everyone cheats in recruiting. He doesn't cheat in recruiting. I, I can safely say this. I know this. Um, so there's – he's he, – and you don't need to cheat at UCLA. You, you don't. You can get good enough players to win at a very high level without cheating at UCLA. He's – I mean, if the only – and I personally think he's a good enough coach that he's going to come to UCLA. He'll take elements of what he had at Virginia, Washington State, and he will obviously use those because that's what – but I think he will do what – he knows he needs to do to optimize his chances of winning it at the highest level at UCLA. And that might be slightly different than it is at Virginia. He, he's not a stupid guy. <laughs> I'll tell you when, when he got the job at Washington state, I knew Tony and, you know, I, I knew a lot of the coaches on the West coast. I knew a lot of the assistants on the West coast. I spent a lot of time in gyms just sitting there watching some really bad basketball. So, you know, you came up, you knew their families. You knew all about them. You know, that's just the way it was. Among, like, I would see Tony one year in July. Then the next summer, he'd come right up to me and say, hey, Trace. And he knows what I did. I mean, he knew I mainly did this for UCLA, but I was scouting, you know, all players out there. And he took advantage of any information he could get. He would come up to me and say, hey, Tracy, how you doing? Good. How's it been, man? I haven't seen you in a long time. How's your wife, Lori? I mean, he dropped her name on me. And then he'd say, so tell me, who are we looking at here? And he would just be quiet and listen to everything I would say. Not interrupt me, not say a word. He'd sit with me at a game. We'd talk about other things. He'd say a few things. He almost never told me anything (laughs) about what he thought. And then I wouldn't see him for a couple of days. He'd come up, sit down, ask me where I was going to lunch. Ask me what we were, what I was seeing in this game again. I mean, and I remember going away, and I'd tell Greg, I go, okay, Tony Bennett's going to win at a really high level. <laughs> that guy is so damn sharp. 
I mean, he did that as an assistant, then he did it as a head coach. So, yeah. I mean, he's a very, very sharp guy, Bruin fans. I, I, I don't know how much you – now I'm just building them all up and watch like tomorrow. They'll say, I'll have a report that Tony Bennett's out. But, yeah, but, but isn't it nice to, to dream, to think, to imagine? It and is. It would be. I mean, this would be, I think, as far as such things go, this would be my basketball equivalent of the Chip Kelly hire. Um, I think it would be hiring the clear-cut best name on the market um, in college basketball. Um, from like a ramification standpoint, that would be huge. But obviously, I mean, there's a long way to go, um, and we'll see what ends up happening yeah. there. Um, but yeah, I've been paying attention to Virginia. Uh, I don't know if you did. Been... You watch them against Duke? I didn't. I taped it. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, they were. I mean, it was really, really, really competitive. Um, okay. And it was the classic kind of Duke. Uh, a little bit of that. Good old home cooking. Um, you know, I thought Virginia. I, I thought Virginia was more or less outplaying them. Um, Duke's obviously got a lot more athleticism, probably more individual talent. But just the way Virginia plays, the way they defend, especially, it's just. I mean, it's just they're they're playing a different thing than most other college basketball teams. Um, and it'd be. I think that was maybe the interesting thing that would tr- be interesting to see how it translate at UCLA because he's doing this with a lot of guys who are in. You know, I mean, he's got a couple of yeah, you know, he's got a couple of you know younger guys who are pretty good, but I mean, it's a junior-led squad. Um, you know, Ty Jerome, Kyle Guy, Braxton Key, those are all juniors. Um, so, I mean, translating that to UCLA, whether it's recruiting, maybe at a slightly less, maybe you're sprinkling in elites versus um, prioritizing them. Maybe you're, you know, hitting the local four stars at a higher level than you are necessarily going after national five stars the way Alford started out doing. Um, but I think he would probably have to adjust from a roster standpoint um, or, I mean, basically bring the Virginia strategy here, which is recruiting lower level guys who are going to stay a while. Um, it'd be interesting to see how that would translate to recruiting at an elite high major. Um, I, I have complete confidence that he'd be very good recruiting at UCLA. Yeah. And I can just keep it right at that. I don't have to elaborate. He's a sharp guy who know the type of people he needs to win at at UCLA. And I'm hoping that being such a sharp guy, he's one of the, he's, he's going to be one of the candidates that really sees the value of, of the UCLA job. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we're going to hang in there. UCLA is doing its vetting, but, you know, none of these – no coaches want to talk about leaving their present program in January. No. They're just, they're just not going to talk. Even if you're intermediaries, reps who say, you know, yes, uh, you know, he'll be interested, but we're not talking about it. They won't talk about it. They, yeah. they just won't. So – I mean, and it, and like I wrote in that piece, it's it's very good to have this time. You know, you still can do some proper due diligence, you know, and really vet these guys, and and not just vet them from a character standpoint, but vet them really go out. You know, Bob Myers can Bob Myers knows a lot of people. Chris Carlson knows a lot of people, but they can really go and check on what everyone really thinks about how good a coaches these guys are, like really reputable people's opinions. And really do some research themselves about, you know, watch games, collect a lot of data about how productive of coaches these guys are given what they have. 
Um, and I, I, you know, we've never had a time like this where most of the time, not even just UCLA, but every athletic department and athletic director is kind of screen. Even you can be prepared for the fact that you might be firing someone, but you're still scrambling to hire someone almost always. Um, and you're on the clock to get all this done quickly. So, and, and look what it did. I will say they did not properly vet Steve Alford because they really didn't have, not only because of Pierre Pierce, they didn't, they didn't go out to enough people and say, Hey, it, would this be a good hot, you know, they're living in a little bubble. The people who were giving the UCLA athletic department information on that, that UCLA administration was in a bubble and the people who were giving them information had an agenda. Let's just say that. And they didn't do their proper work to go out and really get a sense of how that would hit the UCLA community, the college basketball community. I, when they didn't get a good reaction, they were shocked that they, not even beyond Pierce, they were shocked that that, that wasn't a good hire. That's not going to happen this time. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's, uh, that's probably the best comfort to take at this point. And I mean, whoever the new coach ends up being is going to inherit. Um, uh, I, I think a, I, I would say it's a pretty good roster. I mean, not perfect by any means, but a lot of really good talent for next year, assuming there aren't mass defections, um, which I don't think either of us are anticipating. Obviously strange things can happen. And if a new coach comes in and wants to install something, or doesn't feel guys are a fit, he might encourage some mass defections. But as it stands right now, pretty talented roster. I think you might see kind of what you've seen a bit with the Chip Kelly effect, the Chip Kelly purge, too, because it uh, coaches are all about doing well at a program and how well they do is based on expectations, right? So when you come in your first year, if people are going around and saying, wow, they have a lot of talent that's saying that they should win, you know, at a pretty high level that first year. But if there's a bunch of people who leave the program and it's kind of decimated, everyone readjusts their expectations. I don't think Chip Kelly did that on purpose necessarily, but it was kind of a good byproduct <laughs> because everyone will look at three and nine and say, well, I mean, he came in, he tried to establish his culture. He, that ended up running off a lot of soft players, so he didn't have a lot of talent to work with. So he kind of built in an excuse for that first year. I, I don't necessarily think every coach will do it at the extent that Chip Kelly did. But I think just I think there's room for maybe a, a little bit of a purge with this with this roster, would you say, Dave? I mean, I think there's some guys I mean there's I think as we wrote, I mean it's they've got fifteen guys for next year already, so there needs to be a couple of departures regardless. And I think the yeah. most the ones that make the most sense from a whether or not they'd be a fit standpoint, um, mostly because they're already clearly have flirted with the NBA already are Wilkes and hands. Um, and you see this a lot where guys will put their name in for an evaluation or whatever, and then it won't come back great. They won't have a great next year, but then they go anyway because they just feel like they're done at that point. And you could totally see that dynamic playing out there with those two, even though they are not, very much not having good years um, and have 
I would say, especially Wilkes has regressed in some ways. Um, I, I just, you're, you get caught up in it. Your ego gets caught up in it. Um, so I could see that one. Those two both um, deciding more or less of their own volition. And then I so, think so what be... do they decide to do, though, Dave? I mean, they're going to decide to go into the NBA Development League? Yeah. Oh, because yeah. They, can't, they can't put their name in again and, and come back out. They've already no, used I think they would, they would go into the Development League and then probably overseas. I would imagine. Hmm. I mean, and that's just a prediction. That's not yeah. um, anything. How much does the Development League, like, pay now? Mm. I really don't know. I mean, I think yeah, it pays like a living wage, but I don't think it's like much beyond that. Okay. Let's look. Hang on. I just think that's kind of an interesting, because they can't put their name and come back out, they, they can't do that. So they're operating a bit in the dark um, by getting an estimate of where they would be drafted. I don't put a lot of stock in all those NBA draft production places, but, you know, I don't think either of them are projected to be drafted at this point. Right. Yeah. So um, if you're not going to get called up, the salary just for being in the G League looks like it's it looks like it bumped up to thirty five thousand for six months. So, I mean, for six months, that's fine. I mean, it's it's whatever. It's a salary. Um, It's not a you're not making you're not making riches off that, but you can live on that for six months. But Um, do they think, you know, I come back with a really good coach, you know, and we'll have a good chance of winning. We'll all be a year older. It will, it will improve. I'll, you know, it'll improve my game. It'll improve my stock. If we win, Uh, I would think there would have to be, there would have to be an attitude adjustment. Um, I think more, I think they would want to come back more than a prospective coach would want to keep them. I think that's probably, well, I just don't know. I don't know what what's going on in their heads right now. I just know I've seen that dynamic play out before where a guy just decides he's done. Um, and I think, yeah, if you're making a rational choice, you would much rather stay in school and get coached and, and learn how to play the game better with a better approach. But, I mean, if they were making that rational choice, wouldn't they have maybe tried to approach this year a little bit differently too? Mm, I mean, after if, getting feedback. Not if your coaches aren't necessarily – yeah impressing upon you to, to you know think that way I, I yeah and so i think you're you're probably hitting the 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 ultimate point which is whatever decision they make i think they and i think a few guys on the team are going to have to prove something to whoever the new coach ends up being if they want to stay on the roster um, yeah, that's what i think i think it's going to be i don't know what everyone's thinking but if i had to guess i i would think it's going to be more of a case where the coach comes in and in their mind these guys are going to have to convince the coach to keep them. Not necessarily that they go to the NBA or maybe they go someplace else, but I, I think they're going to have to, they're going to have to convince the, the new coach to keep them. I yeah. think. And I think there's, there's those two. Um, I think there's, uh, we speculated about it in the story, but Alex Losinski, I mean, he might make sense as a uh, transfer, um, you know, somewhere where you can actually play because, the post depth chart looks pretty good at this point. Um, now that's that's actually even regardless what, what Moses Brown then ends up doing, and I think both of us would. I, I think he doesn't look like an immediate NBA guy to me. Um, but again, you kind of never know what the dynamics of some of these kids are in their whole situations. But he doesn't look anything like a, a an immediate entry guy to me. Um, oh, not even close. I mean, he's he's a center in the NBA. 
yeah. all, all the way. And uh, obviously he can't play center in the NBA right now, but you would even have to question if even given all of his upside that you just have not seen enough to project him to be able to play center in the NBA. Yeah. Yet. He, he's yeah. that classic. I mean, what we used to think about big men, um, in college where, Oh yeah, it's three years. Like he'll be, he'll be in school for at least three years, right. getting bigger, getting stronger, developing actual post moves, like doing the whole thing. And that whole timeline has sped up for a lot of big time, big guys. But the old thinking on post players was, Oh, you, you need a ton of development coming out of high school. Cause nobody learns how to be a post in high school. Right. Um, and with the advent of more stretch fives and stretch fours that, you know, it was maybe a little bit easier to learn the technique, but he's, I mean, he's which, a low which post he'll guy. never be. Yeah. He's a low <laughs> post guy, a hundred percent. So he needs to, he, he will, I think he's going to be one of the guys who benefits the most from a new coach because it'll be somebody you would think somebody who walking into that job, they're going to make sure to have a good big man coach. Um, man, looking forward to seeing might that might be the thing I'm looking forward the most to seeing is, is Moses Brown with a good coach next year. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, him. And honestly, I'd be excited to see um, Jalen Hill, too, with a good coach. Because he Jaylen brings Hill. a lot of energy, brings a lot of all that stuff, but still just pretty raw. Um, yep. You get him a good coach. I think both those guys could be a really, really good post-tandem. And that's, you know, even throwing Cody Riley there. And Cody Riley's another one who, he was he was flirting with the NBA last year after not playing. So yeah, I think that might be academic related to. I don't want to talk like too much about it just to protect his yeah, but <laughs> I mean, but I, I think you know some players might be motivated to leave just because of having to stay in school. Not that they're necessarily in trouble, but UCLA is a pretty challenging place, you know, academically. So, yeah, yeah. So I mean, anyway, long story short, the roster. I mean, there's there's definitely pieces there. It could look a lot different next year, but there are there are pieces there to make it, I think, attractive for a new coach. They can look at it and say, "Oh yeah, you know, massage that a little bit. I could win pretty quickly." Right. I agree. I agree. Um, I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's something that's gonna. Any prospective coach is going to look at it and go, geez, I, I got to rebuild from the ground up. I, I think they're going to say there are some pieces there. And one of the main the pieces to me are Tiger Campbell, Moses Brown, Jalen Hill, and who else? David, oh, David and, and David Singleton. Those yeah. are the pieces right there. I think that you say, okay, that's a team. I, I And you know what? Like someone brought up on the board uh, – Jaime uh, Yaquez is playing really well as a senior, and he's a guy that's just not a scorer, which he's doing in high school. But he he has a, a well-rounded game, um, and he can he can guard he can guard he can guard a wing. You know, he's not like a three that's really defensively a four. We've seen plenty of those. Uh-huh. <laughs> Nikola Dragovic. What was Nikola Dragovic? Uh, Nikola Dragovic was, was not a defensive four? four. He was a defensive zero. Okay, there we go. Um, Yaquez can defend a lot. He can, you know, he's he plays like a a wing, but he can post up. I mean, he's a, he's a good player. He's going to be very. He's going to be fun to watch. Tony Bennett would love to coach that kid. Oh yeah, Tony would love to coach him. Okay. Just had to get that in. No, I, I, I respect it. 
Um, all right. Well, that's hoops. Uh, should, should we shift into some football talk? Sure. The big headlines right now are, what, less than two weeks from signing day, a potential new hire on the coaching staff? I think that's right. I think that's right. So uh, let's – why don't we start with the potential new hire on the coaching staff? Okay. Um, this one – so Roy Manning uh, left to take the uh, Oklahoma job he had known um, – their uh, defensive coordinator, Alex Grinch, from uh, Washington State, so it was an obvious fit. Um, he Do you gets, think he's uh, been joked his whole life being having the last name Grinch? Got to be. Gosh, yeah. A, you you got to be good. Like you got to be good at something growing up to have the last name Grinch. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but the main, I mean, uh, not a done deal yet, but close to a done deal. The main candidate to replace him, uh, Jason Kafusi. Uh, Linebacker coach, um, most recently at Nevada. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, he is apparently related to everybody. Defensive line coach. Did you say that? What kind Can of coach did you say? Sorry, yeah, defensive line coach. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently related to everybody um, in the world. Kafusi, Kafusi is like is kind of like Jones or Smith. I mean, it's it's a really common name, and there's a there's you know there's a big Kafusi family in the in the in the poly community. Um, and the thing was so great about the Polynesian community too, is they, there's it culturally, they all feel they're part of a family, which is, I'm, I'm so jealous being like a, you know, detached, you know, pure American that doesn't have that kind. I love it when there are cultures where they all just live together as a family. You know, we send Americans, I don't know where we did, we send the, your kid out to go live away from you and you never talk to them again. Yeah, yeah I don't get that. Anyway, culturally, yeah, there is su- it's such a tight-knit culture and he's pretty tight in. Yeah, so that's, I think, potentially a boost for recruiting. Um, but the, the one word of caution there was that Roy Manning, um, coming out of Washington State, was thought to be a pretty good recruiter. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know that, that necessarily lived up to it. Um, I think there've been some, you know, as, as we wrote about, there've been some staff changes on the football side as well. Maybe the apparatus is changing a little bit, um, to allow a guy like Kafusi, who has been a good recruiter at other stops to kind of sh- let his talents shine here. So hopefully, uh, if that goes through that, he'll be able to, uh, to boost UCLA recruiting at that, uh, at the line you know- spot. There have been some changes. We've seen some adaptions. You know, uh, the official visit, they, they were, <laughs> if, if the family, if the recruit of the family walked off campus, they, they had ankle bracelets and they got buzzed and shocked before. <laughs> <laughs> the last two weeks, they've actually, they've actually been able to go off campus. So they went to, uh, Rocco's. The parents went to uh, Catch LA, which is like a trendy, trendy restaurant. I, I think on Melrose or around Melrose. Um, uh, yeah, so that's. I think they sh- they saw Deshaun Watson there. Maybe I think I was told that. Um, is it Deshaun? What's his name? Yeah, that's his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so they're shifting. Uh, you know, Chip might be loosening up. A little. Um, I think they probably learned 
that they have to recruit, you know, during the season. Uh, I think also this is a move to get a Polynesian presence on the staff, especially with one that has deep ties to Utah. Because there are a lot of Polynesians in Utah, and there's a lot of big offensive linemen and defensive linemen there. And, I mean, he coached, he coached at high school. I think it was Cottonwood, I think, in, in Utah. So great history. And I've heard he's, people respect him as a coach, too, and respect him as, like, um, detail-oriented. You're, you're right to have the caveat that we, we heard good things about Roy Manning, too. But, you know, you'd rather hear good things than not necessarily good things. Right? Agreed. Agreed. No, I mean, if you're going to – but I, I, with the caveat is more about, you know, we've heard also some good things about the changes in the recruiting structure. But we're going to need to see some results. Um, you know, this – I think this recruiting class is uh, – you know, there's a lot of good prospects in here that I think we like. Um, but I think we're kind of generally chalking this up as a learning experience, right? Um, you know, they had to learn what they have to do and what they shouldn't do in the future. And now we'll have to see going into, you know, see how they close over the next week and a half, but then also uh, ju- start judging this next recruiting cycle and whether we're seeing the same habits forming and, and all that kind of stuff. Again, it's going to be interesting to see. Well, we have the other really vastly interesting thing, which is the transfer market and the transfer portal. Um yeah, it's unlike anything. I wrote that article, I think, back in September. And I had a few people just say, oh, you're overblowing that. And I don't think we've even scratched, scratched the surface at this point of what it's going to be. And it's already huge. I think there were over 1,500 names in the portal. Um, there might not be enough scholarships for everyone that actually does end up wanting to, to transfer. I think personally UCLA is – is keeping a few scholarships in its pocket to go out and find some guys who could fill in some spots. Uh, that might be a more fertile recruiting ground than high school players for Chip Kelly and the program, given where the program is right now. Um, you go at, when you get transfers, transfers, you know, are generally a couple of different types. Some that just haven't won a spot aren't, you know, aren't good enough that they want a spot. So they want to go try to find, you know, a a new place. Um, And then you get the grad transfer that, you know, might be of that, that nature too, but just wants a a new environment, new coaching, maybe wants to go to a coaching staff that's going to get them to the, give them a better chance to turn pro. I think Chip Kelly will appeal more to a transfer market, like given all of that, because, you know, the serious minded, all business kind of guy, a transfer might that's he doesn't necessarily want to be wine and dined like high school recruits anymore. He just wants to get it done. So they could be they could be very effective in the transfer market. I think from what I know, UCLA has already has turned down some transfers who are interested. They, I think overall they've had a lot of people show interest in the program, but they've been they've been a little they've been pretty selective and picky. Uh, uh, they've they've had some connections with Shane Bouchel, the quarterback transfer from Texas. Um, who else? Oh, the Texas the Texas A and M. Spacing on his name, I Nick wrote it. Today. There we go, Nick Starkle, who has some connections. Obviously, um, uh, our boy Jerry Neuheisel was at Texas A and M when he was there. So, you know, th- we'll see how that goes. Um, some offensive linemen. 
and maybe some you know undergrad transfers at other positions and maybe fill in some fairly for some positions that might be a fairly weak in terms of the depth chart. Uh, so that's going to be really, you know, that's from my standpoint, our standpoint, it's kind of fun. It extends this whole recruiting thing <laughs> all the way through spring on who else you could bring in for that year. And there seems to be a lot more, the NCAA is a lot more open to granting waivers for various reasons. Yeah. So yeah, that should, that should be, uh, I think the transfer market is going to be very, very, very interesting. And I think UCLA might do well in it. Um, the three and nine, I think, when we're talking about this whole recruiting cycle, the three and nine, you know, has hurt them. Uh, it's hard to recruit when you've gone three and nine because you're always recruiting over either how well you've done or upside. And, well, uh, you, can, you can see there was some upside in the season, but three and nine doesn't exactly scream upside. So um, I know you still feel UCLA should recruit better even even if it's three and nine. Especially in the in in the first offseason of the head coach. Yeah. You should be able to sell upside on a one and eleven. Like I, I think that's the point that's gonna be the sticking point about this class and about that season for me, I think, just in perpetuity. Did it need to be that bad first and to um this this I, I think this is this is a failure of recruiting strategy, not a failure of you know just the simple results dictating this. Um, this I mean, do you really need to learn that you need to recruit during the season? I mean, yeah, I guess you do, but that seems like a given to me. If um, you know, if real due diligence had been done, this is what I think. I think there's <clears throat> going to be a learning process for Chip Kelly. And his staff to learn how to recruit given 2019 and at UCLA. There, I mean, who's there that's done this? You know, Doherty's been there a couple of years. Um, and Deshaun Foster. I mean, there aren't there aren't a lot of guys that tell them, hey, this is how it is at UCLA. You know, and, and not to mean that you have to, you know, only think in, you know, status quo, dogmatic ways pertaining to UCLA that you can't think out of the box, but there are some basic realities of UCLA, good and bad, and there's really no one there. So I think they're learning the process. I think Chip Kelly's learning, and we've seen some, we've seen, we've seen that he's learned something. Um, I think that's what you can hope for in recruiting. I don't think Chip Kelly is a naturally great recruiter, right? Uh, I mean, his personality probably doesn't lend it to that. Um, so it's going to be a process to get to the point where he becomes a good recruiter at UCLA. And a lot of that might be posting like a nine-win season. <laughs> yeah, it makes a lot of things easier. But I think also it's, it's just, I mean, not to hammer it, but it's just putting in the work. It's starting your assistants and getting them out on the road and offering guys in April and doing a lot of this stuff through the summer um, and into the season. And hosting officials throughout the season. Um, it's just, I mean, it's doing the work that everyone else is doing. I mean, yes, you can think you're reinventing the wheel. Yes, you can think that. You can fall into that once and fail. But you can't just keep at that. Um, yeah. 
And so that's going to be the interesting thing for me. If they if they head into this offseason and it's similar even to last year, I think that's going to not be good um, because I think they needed to re- learn a lot of realities from this season. And fine, chalk it up as a learning experience. You get one of those. But if you build two classes that look like this, you're taking the upside of the program down a little bit um, because you're just not replenishing the talent level. Um, and looking at these departures, I mean, what is it now with Colin Samuel? It's what, 31 out? Yeah, I, you know what? I'm not even completely confident reporting that Colin Samuel is no, no, gone. No, he, he, yeah. he, he tweeted it out that he's Did he? graduating. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's 30 or 31. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's, it's, you've got some bodies to replace, not just you've got like talent, top end talent you need to replace because you need that too, but you have, you have depth that you need to replace. Um, and again, you might think you can go into a football season with 60 players. Um, you can't. And we learned that again this year. So again, it was a learning experience, but you need to go into next year and, and have learned all of those lessons. Um, this is what happened last year, which kind of stunned me a little. When, when they were talking about they were taking a long time to evaluate, okay, I absolutely get that. I can, I can follow how that's happening and understand it. Then when they got to the point where they offered someone, even if it was late, okay, good, you offered someone. Then what happened, no matter when they offered someone, if it was in June or July, if it was in September – it, they, uh, we would talk to a lot of the guys they had recruited and they, they would say, since they offered me, I heard a little bit and now I haven't heard anything. I mean, going on weeks, months, which was the most curious thing. Why are you putting an offer? Why are you putting the, the, the effort into offering someone and then thinking you don't have to recruit them after that? So that's going to be my thing in this cycle when they offer someone are they going to recruit him <laughs> after they offer him rather than just think offering him was good is good enough for the next couple of months so the crazy um, thing for me about that and and i i buy our explanation of it like i buy that okay they needed to learn the cycle but uh, to an extent but it wasn't that different like it wasn't that wildly different in 2012 when chip kelly was last a college coach like it wasn't. It it was still maybe it wasn't quite as sped up. Maybe it wasn't quite as you know a commitment means more or less nothing. But it was getting there, and you still had to recruit guys after you offered them. Like that was when I started doing this. I mean, it wasn't like it was a, a completely different world. It wasn't twenty years ago when guys you know could only communicate over the phone. There wasn't even text messaging. Like kids were kids then too. Um, it, it didn't change that much. I, I, I'm giving them a mulligan for that, that recruiting cycle. I think that's fine and fair. But I don't know that there's actually a whole lot of justification for it. I think it's almost unconscionable logic. Yeah, no, I, that's a really great way of putting it. You gave them a mulligan, but you don't really understand <laughs> or can really forgive that, right? Yeah, and like yeah, yeah it's just whatever. It, it happened, it's done now, and it's not like, you know. Well, like, here's the other thing too, Dave. Recruiting is so much about the staff dynamic. Um whether there are the between the head coach, the director of player personnel, the whole recruiting support staff and then the individual coaches and then 
the dynamic between those coaches on who's recruiting whom and what region, what position, what kind of recruiter that individual is. And you can have like tent pole recruiters that hold it up. Like Paul Rhodes, Paul Rhodes recruited the whole season. I can safely say that. I heard from enough recruits. I heard from enough people in the industry that said Paul Rhodes kept recruiting. Um, I would say uh, Justin Fry kept recruiting, the offensive line coach. Uh, I can't really know what Deshaun Foster did because he had you know a couple of commitments early on. Um, so I think where they lost it, obviously we've written a lot about linebacker recruiting. That was, you could say that that was a fail. Um, and I would say for whatever reason, they just misdiagnosed defensive line too on whether they should take someone because, you know, they had not offered anyone. They had a reasonable chance of getting, I mean, they offered one guy and that's, uh, Ika, the, you know, that big kid who's probably going to Alabama up until they offered uh, Daytona Jackson and Nick Figueroa, which was, almost, I think, October. So I just don't understand. No matter how many guys you've got on your roster and you look at it and if you said, oh, he might transfer, he might transfer, even if you don't do that, you still just got to keep the talent coming in at those at defensive line and offensive line. So I think that was a fail. I think going out and getting Jason Kafusi and you combine him – with with Paul Rhodes on defense might do quite a bit there. I, I would I would bet they might put Kafusi in charge of a lot of defensive recruiting, given what they're coming off. Yeah. Um and then and then when it comes to quarterback recruiting, you know, while you got Dana Bible, the quarterback coach, I think Chip Kelly's doing a lot of that himself. Um, which you would want. I mean <laughs> you would want Chip Kelly recruiting your your quarterbacks. And he's going to, you know, he's a guy who spends a lot of time in the quarterback room, obviously. And then, and Justin Fry. So you, you've got it, you know, you've got the makings of a good staff, but Jason Kafusi, don't want to put a lot of pressure on the guy, but if he steps in and really starts, you know, recruiting during, recruiting during this off season, recruiting during the season and puts a lot of effort into it, that's going to go a long way, I yeah. think, to helping the staff. And, and I, I, when you were talking there, it brought up another thing that I've been thinking about, and I don't want to just keep beating on them for this stuff, but you also don't recruit to spots this early in a tenure. Like, you're not recruiting like you have one, oh, we need this particular one thing, and that's the only thing we need at that position group. Because there's massive attrition. You have to anticipate there's massive attrition because you're forcing that attrition. Like, yeah, especially when... You could take like 30 guys in this outside. class. Like you it's could take like, however many you want. Exactly. It wasn't like it was coming from the outside. It was coming internally. You were making... You were a force in getting people to transfer, not forcing them out, but the, the program you were establishing in the culture the byproduct with people were leaving. It wasn't, I mean, you and I are internet slappies and we could see that this was happening. When I was hearing UCLA thought they had 18 scholarships to give, you know, back in July or August. And I said, Oh, that's going to be 26. And there, and you know, I heard some skepticism from different people around the program. 
And now I think we're at 29. <laughs> you have an, you're, it's your first year in the program. You have an infinite number of scholarships to give. You can force out whoever you want. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so there was a lot of missteps in this. And like you said, I, I hope that, I hope they learn from this and, and put it together for this next, for this next uh, cycle. Well, Doan is reporting that uh, Charles Nyoku. Nijoku? What are we going with? Uh, I, you, you go with whatever you like. Nijoku, I think, sounds good. The J feels silent to me. Uh, he's announcing at uh, 4 p.m. Pacific uh, on Friday, so tomorrow. Uh, this, okay. Well, this is going to go up tomorrow, so uh, later today. Um, and it's between UCLA and Nebraska. So I, You know, I know Nebraska is confident about it. This is the funniest thing about recruiting. Whenever you get a source... You just, no matter, there are very few sources that are independent of the um, ties they have. <laughs> Nebraska, no matter how good they can be, it's going to be Nebraska tinged. No matter how good your sources at UCLA are, they're going to be UCLA tinged. Did I say singed or tinged? Tinged. Singed, singed is probably better. Um, right now, you know, there's enough out there that's saying, uh, there's enough Nebraska sources that's saying he's going to Nebraska. Uh, I can probably say there's enough UCLA sources that's saying he's going to UCLA. So there you go. All right. Well, that'll be one to watch. Uh, that'd be a big get, uh, literally big, big, big receiver. Um, so that would be uh, a good pickup for UCLA. Um, but yeah. So we're, we're uh, should we should we touch on should we touch on our man Brew? Uh, I think a lot, since you said it, what are we going to do? Go back and erase this part of it? Yeah, Dave, now we got to talk about it. So just the, I, I, the whole thing is just so bizarre. So guy enrolls early at USC, like is on campus. And now I, I think the most recent reports are that he is very much looking to transfer to Texas from USC after two weeks on campus. How bad must Clay Helton be? Like how yeah. how much well, of a, you know what, of though? a gym teacher must he be? Yeah, that's true. But it, you know, there's a lot of details that I, I've got. I haven't even had time to think about it. But he signed a grant and aid, even though he's enrolled. He didn't sign a letter of intent, and a letter of intent still is what binds you for a year, I think. So even if he were going to leave, he'd still have to get out of that letter of intent, I think. So the fact that he signed a grant and aid. No, I, I got I'd have to go look. I think it makes it a lot easier for him. Yeah, but he he still needs to get released from school, right? He like needs they to still get need to release him to the transfer portal or whatever, right? I don't see that's uh, with the transfer portal. It's all yeah. the way it works is you don't have to. You can put your name in the transfer portal. The team can then say you can't. It it goes by conference, like you can't. Uh, transfer to these schools. And like, I, I, I'm really confident, like with Jalen Phillips, this is why you're seeing Miami, because I think UCLA put in for him that he can't transfer to USC. Yeah, <laughs> and, and with, with, with Brew, you have to imagine USC is going to let him do whatever the hell he wants because he's coming from modern day, and they don't want to piss them off. Exactly, and if he can, there's that. There's the ability to get out easily because he signed, easier because he signed a grant and aid. I think 
it makes it it makes it compared to what it could be it makes it a lot easier for him to, to get out yeah. what we were talking about before what we were kind of wary of talking about is why wouldn't ucla be considered and i think our guy greg biggins i didn't you said you read it what did greg say yeah, and i don't I know if, i don't know if he said. wants it fully out there um yeah. but basically ucla wasn't a hat on the table at his decision and there was a reason for that didn't quite end great uh, uh when when uh the mccoys were letting him know what letting ucla know that uh usc was the pick um so i don't think either of us is anticipating that ucla is going to be an option here um for mccoy i think another thing portal. for you know to learn uh in in re- in recruiting too because i know leading up to that the mccoys loved chip kelly I can safely uh, say that, that they loved him. So, you know, a lot of coaches just don't react well. (laughs) I mean, this is not uncommon. I've heard about it many, many times. And I think I put up a post today when someone asked me, how could that happen? Coaches generally are, uh, they're kind of delusional when it comes to recruiting. They think they're getting everyone. They don't like objective feedback that they're not getting someone by nature they're raw raw guys that have to believe and have confidence and then when that's those it doesn't come to fruition you know they react emotionally i think i wrote something like what other profession can you verbally abuse some someone like players or your employees and it's completely accepted within the job description you know not not too often so coaches are a different Breed, they don't deal with disappointment very well. So you could even see someone like Chip Kelly or any other coach, when you think you're getting someone that's a difference maker like Drew McCoy, maybe not reacting. Yeah, you know, well, it happens. But it also, happens, but it also, happens more than you think. Right, but also, you're paid several million dollars to do your job well, um, and that's not doing your job well. So that's yes. that's the piece where it's so easy to do the thing that actually has upside. And to do the thing that doesn't have upside is that same level of ease. Like, it is the exact same thing to say, okay, well, that sucks to hear. Hope you do well there. Obviously, we're going to try to beat you the next three or four years, but we wish you good luck. Easy, as easy to say that as it is to say, well, that sucks to hear. I think you're going to suck there. Like well, the easy to say, thing. but un- until you have emotions involved. Yeah, well, you're, <laughs> and I mean, it's, uh, again mulligans but mulligans all around but come on i mean you're a i mean anybody saying anything to a kid who's a coach is a grown person talking to a kid just be the bigger person see that's what you're that's what you're thinking but i can't even tell you how many instances over the it's not it's not like it's staff too it's just it's always ridiculous yeah it's it's always just like what come on there's absolutely no upside to this behavior and really, one of the reasons why you wouldn't do it is the most the most direct reason is, hey, that guy, that kid could end up, you know, he goes away to college. Let's say he goes to Notre Dame. He's going to bounce back. There's a good chance he bounces back, so why burn, why burn that bridge? I mean, but it's, it's really, <laughs> it's, it's a real message here that literally it's, it's a matter of weeks <laughs> where, you know, he was, he's available. Um, so, yeah, that's a that's another lesson to be to be learned. Yeah, yeah, a lot of lessons learned, a lot of lessons to be learned. 
Yes, that's true. That's great. That's great. All right. Well, that's it. You got anything else? I do. Uh, I've got one more thing. Um, we received some really sad news on Monday about Gary Paskowitz, uh, the longtime publisher of um, We RSC. Uh, Gary is 52. He had a stroke and he passed away Sunday night. Um, Gary, obviously, Gary and I published uh, sites from teams and schools that are rivals, but I couldn't. I could always say I never felt like I was a rival with Gary. He was just, he was just a really nice, classy professional guy when there could be times during UCLA and USC recruiting where we were both hearing two different things and we were out on a field somewhere and talking and just literally laughing about it. I mean, as opposed to other people who as a fan can get so involved, or even from our standpoint, I mean, you know, UCLA or USC gets that recruited. It helps our site and it helps our livelihood. Gary always had such an amazing mindset and approach to it that it, it made me always, I always kept it in my mind that that's how I always wanted to be. Um, so he'll be missed. He, he, he was a dear guy. And, you know, it just, I've been kind of stunned what's today, Thursday, for four days over it. Uh, so I just wanted to say farewell. Yeah, I, I only met Gary briefly a couple of times, but uh, always struck me as a incredibly nice guy, um, which, you know, there's a lot of, you know, squirrely types on uh, covering football recruiting, but Gary always struck me as kind of a genuinely nice guy. So obviously very sad news. Yep. All right, well... Uh, for that guy over there, Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and we will talk to you again next time. See y'all.